Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Common Ground Podcast. Common Ground is a core class that meets weekly at Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. In our current series, our teacher, Lyric Fesco, is going through the Ten Commandments and what they mean to us today. We hope you enjoy the podcast. All right, well, I have a question for you as we begin our discussion today. The question I have for you is, what's in a name? What is in a name? What's in a name? You've heard it said. Uh, How have you ever noticed how much meaning we attach to a name? For instance, for those of you who have participated on any level of, uh, of uh, the naming of a baby, what's the baby's name? The baby's name is? Rhodes. Okay, so there's probably a lot of thought and, and deliberation about what went into to naming that baby, right? I'm, I'm, I'm only guessing, because if it was anything like the way we treated our kids, there was lots of debate back and forth about what, it should, what he should be called. A lot of pressure, but uh, once you name a baby, statistically speaking, there's, there's no going back. They have that, uh, that name forever. I'm a firm believer in the notion that uh, your kid grows into their name, okay? For, uh, for example, if you start calling a kid Bubba, he's not going to be small, <laughs> okay? I think by and large, most people agree with that notion. Have you ever noticed there aren't many people naming their child Adolf these days, okay? You can search the popularity of names over time on the internet, and people were naming their kids Adolf on a fairly regular basis until right about 1940. And then, it just, and then it just disappeared. People aren't doing that. So it was a common name. It became an uncommon name. Why is that? If you like the name, you like the sound of the name, why not go with it? Well, there's something in our heads, I think, that says, well, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want my person to be emblematic of that person. I don't want my, my child to, to, to live up to, to that name. So let's, let's just not even, not even go there. Or how about this? The most popular name, baby name, female uh, baby name of 2018 is, anyone want to guess? I actually heard someone say it earlier Emma. today. Emma. Correct. It is Emma is the most popular female baby name uh, of 2018. Okay. Now, just for the question for the ladies in the room, whether you are uh, having children or not, just imagine a show of hands. If you had to, would you be okay living with a baby name, Emma? <laughs> Emma. <laughs> if you'd be okay, let's see the hands. You'd be okay with the name Emma. Great. That seems almost all of you, it looks like. Okay. Now, how many of you would be okay with the baby name Emma if you found out that your husband's last girlfriend before you was named Emma? <laughs> Show of hands. Show of hands. I don't see, I don't see any hands. <laughs> no hands there. Okay. Not as many. Even though you don't know uh, who this other Emma was, you have no idea who she was, but you, you'd rather not name uh, your daughter Emma. That's because names mean something. They carry with them significance. They mean something not just to the one who bears the name, but to the one uh, who, who, who hears the name, too. Here's another example. Uh, for those of you who are of age to remember, when email started to be really prevalent, the early practice wasn't to use your initials or like leeeric.fesco at or tfesco. You would instead, you might use a word that was descriptive of, of who you are. <laughs> My first email address was turbo3 <laughs> at email service provider's name, so you don't go looking for that email, right? Now, now why was I turbo3? Because I thought I was pretty fast, you see. Uh, oh, so you ran track in high school and college? No, I did not. Okay, so by whose standard was I fast? Well, I, I was just fast in my own personal judgment. I thought that I was pretty fast. Faster and I should probably know, have let people know that by my email moniker, okay? And so why was I Turbo 3? Well, I suppose Turbo, Turbo 1, and Turbo 2. 
taken. Who were all taken. See, they were faster than I was, I suppose, in claiming that email name. Names mean something is what we're trying to say here. Names mean something. Names communicate something. Have you ever noticed how sensitive people are about their names? Some people. I think all of us are to a certain degree, okay, about our names. Have you ever introduced yourself to someone multiple times, even the next time you see them, they, you either get the name wrong or they say, I, I, I'm sorry, you, you, I, I don't remember your name. Uh, doesn't that hurt when you have to say that? When I, it still hurts when I say, I know you've told me your name about 18 times. I don't remember your name. I'm sorry. Can you please, can you please let me know? Or, or they'll come up after the fact. Can you believe that? He called me Rob. My name is Bob. Or, or is that Kristen with a K? No, it's Kristen with a C. C-H-R-Y-S-T-Y-N. That's how I... <laughs> Oh, hello, is Jeff, is it J-E-F-F? No, it's G-H-E-O-P-H. I can't just be regular Jeff, I have to be G-H-E-O-P-H. Hi there, I'm Lee. Well, it's actually Lee Eric, okay? It's a double name, like Jim Bob, okay? <laughs> Again, names mean something is what we're trying to say. Names mean something, they communicate something, and right now we're engaged in a study in the Ten Commandments, and the next commandment that we're going to be talking about and discussing has everything to do with a name. What is, what it communicates, and, and what it means. Let's take a look at the third commandment, which is found in Exodus 20. Exodus 20, verse 7, and it says this. You can turn your Bibles there, or you can follow along up here. Exodus 20, verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Okay, there's the commandment. Now, let's ask ourselves, why is God so concerned about protecting his name? Okay. In, in Scripture, there's a close connection between a person's name and his character. Note uh, the instances of the Bible. I'm thinking of uh, Abraham in particular, uh, whose name was originally Abram. You remember that? His name was originally Abram. But then God changes it to Abraham. Why? It has everything to do with, with identity and character. Abram, roughly translated, means noble father. Okay, so his name was noble father. But uh, what was God's promise to Abraham? Not that just he would be a father, which was a, an absurd promise at the time, but that he would be the father of all nations. Uh, all nations, a multitude of nations. So he changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many. Father of many. Name means something. It means something. Uh, perhaps the biggest display of name and the meaning that goes along with it is the name of God uh, himself, Yahweh, okay? In Exodus chapter 3, when God revealed his name to Moses in the burning bush, what did he say? He said his name was Yahweh, which roughly translates to, or how we translate it is, I am who I am, and then re later just reduced to the shorter I am, okay? What, what God is doing there is showing us that his name is identical with his being and his, his attributes. His name conveys this idea of eternal existence and, and self-sufficiency, and the Israelites were to acknowledge this and, and refrain from just tossing his name about in casual conversation, or even worse, in, in Deuteronomy 18.22, it says this, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, this, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. The prophet who wrongly used the name of the Lord to add legitimacy to his own claims was guilty of taking the name of the Lord in vain. Okay, so we don't just think about how do you take the name of the Lord in vain, not just by using it flippantly, but by misusing it in this way. Okay, by trying to add legitimacy to your own self by claiming, hey, God said so. And therefore, you have to listen to me because I'm saying God says so. Thus saith the Lord, okay? So if I'm a hotshot prophet back in the day and I say, thus saith the Lord, not because the Lord really told me, but because I'm trying to get you to think something of me, trying to think of, of me more than I actually am, then that's a misuse 
of the name of the Lord too. And if someone prophesied in God's name and the prophecy didn't come to pass, not only were you not to be afraid of them, but you were to, do you know? You were supposed to stone him, okay? So not, that's, that's how serious God was about it. You'd stone him. The Lord was and is very serious about his name and he required his people to be serious about his name as well uh, uh, along with that. Does that make sense? Any, any questions so far? Because remember, with each of these, what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at the original context from, from where the, the commandment came and how it was used back then or what significance it had back then. And we're going to also discuss what it means for us today. You know, what does it mean for us to, to keep the name of the Lord holy? And third, we're going to see how Jesus fulfilled these promises, how, these commandments, rather, how Jesus fulfilled these commandments, okay? So uh, that's what we're looking at, to see the original context and so examining what the context looks like for us today. Uh, sure, naturally. What does this look like for us today? How, how can we misuse the name of the Lord uh, nowadays? How, how can we do that? What's, what's, your, what's your immediate impulse? What's your immediate thought? How do we misuse the name of the Lord? Cursing with it. Cursing with it? Like, can you give us an example of that? No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. No, yes. Uh, yes, Susan. Uh, I see just like a general lack of reverence. For instance, to me, like putting the Lord's name, the Son of God's name on a bumper sticker mm -hmm. next to a politician, next to a mm. boat, mm -hmm. or you vacation down. Mm -hmm. You know, it just seems like such, I think it's well-meaning. Mm -hmm. I see the body of Christ do it all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I, the Son of God's name is not meant to be put in, you know, on your bumper. Right. Anyone else? You just want to fight with her about that one? Is anyone have <laughs> kidding, kidding. Esther? Like, what about in politics when uh -huh. people say uh -huh. God endorses this policy of this political party? It's a misuse of the name of the Lord. Yeah, because who's, whose party is God uh, a part of? His own. Okay, his own. Okay, so to try and adopt him into another party by, and, and claim that he's, you know, that, that's a misuse of the name of the Lord. Yeah, Chip. In the, in the 70s, it was very common in the streets of Nashville to see a license plate on a car saying, God is my co-pilot, mm -hmm. which I frankly found very offensive. Because he should be the pilot. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> it's a bumper sticker, right? Sure. Now, a flippant use of the name of, the God, of, of God, the name of Christ, is a clear violation of the third commandment. I think, and I think these are great examples of that. Uh, what other ways here? What about, uh, we discussed this a little bit, the, the manner in which we, we, we just read about in Deuteronomy a few minutes ago. Has anyone ever tried to legitimize what they were saying to you, like a politician, by attaching God's name to it? God told me that you were to... I once was conducting a job interview. This is true. I was, uh, uh, the hiring, I was the hiring manager, and the person I was interviewing told me, God told me that this was my job and that you were going to hire me. My response back to them, I, I wonder why he hasn't told me that. <laughs> because, I mean, I have to be the one to make the decision here. It seems like he would have told me that. And I, was be, I wasn't trying to be a smart aleck here, but I was really, I was just, I, why wouldn't he tell me if, the, if this were the case? So, so uh, uh, I, they didn't have anything to say after that. So, did you, would you have your hand up? My personal favorite is God told me to break up with you. <laughs> God told me to break up with you. And God's saying, hey, don't involve me. You, you've, you've made this mess yourself, right? I have to admit that my ears tingle a little bit whenever I hear someone say something like that. God told me. I, I wince a little bit. Sometimes we'll often rightly say, when referring to God's word, God tells me to love my neighbor. Yes, yes, he did tell me that because he tells me that in his, his holy scripture. Uh, so we can say that. God told me that you should donate money to my cause. Okay, 
No, that's, that's, uh, that, that makes me wince every time, okay? I, I'd be very guarded against someone who comes at you with a statement that starts with, God told me, okay? God said what he had to say in his Bible, and he told his, his prophets, he told his apostles, and they wrote it down, and they put it in the, in the, in the, in the, in the scriptures for us, okay? Anything outside of that, oh, just be really careful. When you hear that or say it, that's, that's all I would say that, okay? Uh, let's take this commandment a step further. How else can we use, misuse the name of the, of the Lord? Uh, remember, uh, we, we, we walk about, you and I, we walk about bearing the name of Christ. We're Christians, okay? Uh, let me tell you something. If you have a Jesus fish on the back of your car and you drive like a jerk... Maybe it's time to remove the Jesus fish, okay? Uh, I, I say that half-jokingly, yet I wonder personally how many times in my lifetime has someone said of me, uh, I thought he was a Christian. I thought he was a Christian. That's a sobering thought. Um, however, by the same reasoning, we should also realize that our loyalty, our loyalty to the name of Christ uh, will solicit a certain response too. Quite often our actions that, that, that positively display the name of Christ will cause a lot of people to not care for you very much. Okay, First uh, Peter 4.14 says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, for bearing the name of Christ, for testifying to the name of Christ, for upholding the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of, of, uh, spirit of, of glory, spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So remember, you bear the name of Christ in your actions, in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions. Uh, you bear the name of Christ and it can solicit a certain response, both negatively and positively, okay? So far, so good. Any comments or observations on that? That's a bit of context for how we misuse it today or, or, or rightfully use it today. Any comments? I think, yeah, Sean? Without going down the rabbit hole mm -hmm. of like whether the cannons close and people having dreams and stuff, mm -hmm. my sister and I had a big debate on this recently. I'm like, someone came up to her and told her, God told me in a dream that this would happen to you. And then it did happen to her. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, it, it made a huge impression on her. And this person has done that multiple times. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to something like that? Is I'd that say all? it's scary. <laughs> because, and again, it, sometimes it's, it's just hunch. Sometimes it's tuition, intuition. But what I would say, if anyone ever does come at you saying something along those lines, you know, God told me that this is such and such. I, I always go back to Scripture. I always, it, because Scripture can inform you of what... Uh, uh, your, what your present circumstance is, more so than even if someone were to come to you and tell you, I had a dream that... So I always put greater weight on what Scripture says, even over what someone testifies personally to you, okay? I don't ignore it. I listen to it. You know, I see if it has merit because, I don't know, God does weird things, you know, sometimes. But again, if it doesn't jive with Scripture then, then you, you completely discount it. So scripture always has the loudest voice here. And then everything else, sure, consider it, pray about it, pray through it, but, number, but always go back to scripture. Always, always, always. It's not necessarily a sacrilegious. Or... No, I mean, I, again, I just tiptoe around it because again, the, the canon of scripture is, is, is quite closed. And, uh, and so whenever someone says, I do have to, you know, with great caution, uh, I, I listen to that, or I would, that's why I never say that. I never say that unless it's just straight up what Scripture says. So that's my best uh, advice I can I can uh, lend to that situation. Yeah, Carol. Um, I always like to use uh, Reggie Anderson as an example because mm -hmm. he's published about how God he had a dream that helped bring him to Christ, mm -hmm. and I feel like it's a good example because one he would say like it did not contradict Scripture in mm -hmm. any way. It was given to me, for me, sort of about me, and it proved true and it built up his faith. And so I feel like it's sort of like when we look, when scripture talks about prophecy 
in the New Testament, that, mm-hmm. like, there are criteria for it, that it has to go with scripture, it has to be like interpreted or proven true, and, and it would build, build up the faith. Mm-hmm. So, so to me, the scary part is whenever it, it goes into being a test of God. Right, yeah. Okay, so if this doesn't happen, does that mean he's not really faithful to me or that somehow he's not in control or that I'm outside as well? Like any time it would tear down faith, then that's showing that it wasn't right. authentic. Right, yeah, excellent. Excellent summary, and I, I, I don't agree, disagree with, uh, I don't disagree with <laughs> this double negatives. I agree <laughs> with, with what Carolyn is saying there, so uh, great, good word, good word. Yes, Marcy. So in Acts, the Bible says, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit upon his people, uh-huh. and men will dream dreams, uh-huh. and prophesy yeah. visions. Mm-hmm. Do you think those days have already passed, or do you think that's... I, I think we're in it. I think we are it, in it? Yes, and that's how I would... I would uh, Again, if we, we get into the what revelation is and, and how and how revelation has unfolded, my my view, which again, there's several biblical I would say three solid biblical views on how to interpret revelation in the last days. Okay. And the one that I subscribe to is the one that says that the the last days are, are now ever since Christ ascended, that that then commenced the, the beginning of the last days, which means he did pour out his spirit. He did pour out his spirit on his apostles, particularly that first generation of apostles that then, that then uh, uh, had the dreams and, ha- and wrote down scripture for us. Okay, So I don't think that meant necessarily that it would then continue on to, into, with new prophecy. Right, right. I think that's done. Yeah, I think that's I'm a, what they call a cessationist. I mean, that, it, it ended with that first generation of apostles, that revelation. Mm-hmm. Yes? I was say, uh, specifically to that, that point, he's quoting Joel. Yeah, which we're, yeah. Joel, and it is fulfilled on that day of Pentecost. Right. There's, there's no longer priests interceding on your behalf. Now everybody has access to Christ. No one, there's no, there's no go between anymore as of that day. Excellent point. The Spirit has been poured yeah. out in the, the prophecy of Joel, which in the economy of an Old Testament prophet saying what is happening in the future to the the greatest degree he can say it, um, playing out in detail in Acts, but but him specifically referencing that day has come today. Right. Great answer. Great answer. Again, the fact that Peter is quoting uh, Joel there, and he's saying, this day, that prophecy that Joel was quoting is now fulfilled. Uh, Great point, Luke. Thank you for uh, for clearing that up for us. But... uh, uh, let's let's consider this. Okay, if this if this is the the, the third commandment it says uh, to keep the the name of the Lord holy, uh, and Christ perfectly fulfilled all these commands on our behalf, how did Christ perfectly fulfill this commandment? How did Christ perfectly fulfill the commandment to to keep the name of the Lord holy? What do you think? By living a sinless life. By living a sinless life. What did living a sinless life do? Well, who is that reflective of? The character of God, God Himself. Okay, uh, it, so sure, naturally, God didn't use the name of the Lord in vain, right? Um, uh, the Jesus. Let me show you this. Jesus is the English. This is another way that that, that uh, Jesus uh, fulfilled this this, uh, this this commandment. Jesus is the English transliteration of the Greek name Iesus, which which is a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Yeshua. Okay, uh, that literally means Yahweh is salvation, okay? So the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, you could say, articulates the idea that God himself is salvation, 
All right. God himself will provide salvation. And how did God provide salvation? Through, through Jesus, who's the very incarnation of God's name. Remember the numerous promises throughout the Old Testament, one of which is, is, is stated in the preamble of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. It's a reminder that God fights for you, that he goes before you and he is your salvation. This idea is embedded in the very name of Jesus, that it would be God himself that would save Yahweh or the Lord is salvation. Yeah, Neil. Yeah, so I was, was going to say, so if Yahweh translates to I am, then that would be I am is salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, it's a, I am who I am. You know, it, it, that's what Yahweh is. Okay, Yahweh is I am who I am. And that that's a little bit of difficult of a discussion in and of itself because it, we're we're effectively guessing that it's Yahweh. It's, they would always uh, uh, are, are, are it uh, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. Okay, and that's the holy name of God. I am who I am, and so you can see how this this un- unfolds. Jesus again is 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 the uh, uh, Yeshua is the is the Hebrew name of Jesus. Okay, and that literally means Yahweh is salvation. So the name of God is embedded within that name of of Jesus. Does that make sense? So God is is literally saying, "I am the way of salvation." That's that's the name of Jesus, and and Jesus came in person and and fulfilled that. And he was that, okay? Uh, and again, going back to Joel, uh, in Peter's sermon at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, he makes connection between the name of God and the name of Christ. When he quotes this, he quotes Joel 2.32. Peter's quoting the Old Testament here, and this is really cool. And This is a great way to, to, to stump any Jehovah's Witness who tries to deny the deity of Christ. Peter says this in Acts 2.21, where he's quoting from the prophet Joel, and he says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter's referring to Jesus here. But it's an original context is where Joel, uh, where, where, is in Joel where Peter is quoting. It says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls calls upon the name of the Lord, Yahweh, he's saying, shall be saved. So do you see what Peter is saying here? Peter is saying that, that to call on the name of Yahweh is to call on the name of Jesus, that, 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 who is God incarnate. So Jesus fulfills this commandment as well, of course, by never using the name of the Lord in vain, but by becoming the embodiment of the name of God Almighty. He is the salvation of Yahweh. He is in the flesh what God's name means. Jesus is what God name means in the flesh. Any thoughts or comments on that before we before we continue? We good with that one? Okay. No any further clarifications there? We good? All right. I know some of you already know this about me, but um, I I have probably a, a, a higher than an average affection for shoes. Okay. I, I like a good pair of shoes. All right. I got to say it. It might be a byproduct of, of getting older, you know, because uh, as you get older, like it or not. Uh, your body starts to fall apart. That's just how it goes. You, you start to look older, and, and really there's very little you can do to slow that train down. Uh, you, by and large, can't control aging. So if your body is falling apart, let's try and manage the things that don't have to fall apart a little tighter. Okay, so my face look older, my shoes don't have to look older. Okay? Anyway, Tracy and I, we, we share a closet. And it's a decent-sized closet. I'm not complaining about that, but, it, but it's a shared space. We have to maximize the room in, in, in there as best we can to fit all of our, our clothes, our coats, and, and our shoes. And, and, and since I'm taller, all right, there is a space above the hangers, all right, there's, there's a shelf up there, and I can reach up there to put my shoes. Well, it was getting, it was getting crowded up there. <laughs> I had shoes stacked on top of shoes, and, and there's actually enough space up there, I, I noticed, where I could build a second shelf so I could effectively double my space up there. And I told this to Tracy one day, I said, you know, I'm going to build another shelf up there so I can have 
two stories of, of, uh, of shelves and get all these shoes up off the floor, okay? Now, I'm a pretty busy guy. Uh, once in a while, I find time to do little projects like that. And, and well, it just so happened that I was out of town for business and, and I was going to be out of town for a few days. And when I got back in town and I started to unpack my suitcase, I open up the closet and I find this. Not the Common Ground logo. <laughs> I find this instead. Look at that. And for those of you listening on the podcast, it is the, the shelf that uh, better than I had imagined. It is two stories of shoes. <laughs> The shelf I had imagined had been built for me. It had been built better than I imagined that I would build it, and I, I didn't have to do a thing. I didn't have to do a thing. I showed up one day, and it was done. My wife had decided to, to surprise me with this, and, and get this, she didn't go out and hire someone to do it. She made it herself, okay? She, she called up her father and said, how do I do this? I've got two days. Talk me through it. Go. And she did it. She did it. I was beyond impressed. I was blown away. Isn't that great, though? Isn't that great? Look at that. That's nice and organized. And I still have shoes stacked on top of shoes. <laughs> those are running shoes. These are great shoes. I love those. those are <laughs> it was all old school Adidas. <laughs> no, no, right? No. <laughs> Yes, yes. There's, 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 let's not examine it too clear. Come on, All right. Now, okay, she did that for me, and I said, now, just imagine with me. Imagine with me upon coming home. It, what would happen if I thanked Tracy for doing this, told her, great job, I'm so impressed, but what would it have communicated if I then took it down? Okay? What would it have communicated if I took it down, then built the one I'd originally planned on building? Nice yeah. <laughs> yeah. First of all, yeah. First of all, it probably wouldn't have been this good. First of all, let me tell you that. I, what I was going to build, I had no plans of, of painting. Okay, it wasn't going to be this detailed at all. What does it communicate if I went and did that, took it down, and replaced it with something inferior? All right. <laughs> That's right. It, it would show for for certain. It would show had show that I have no appreciation for what she did. Okay, it would show I had no understanding of what she did, and it would show a complete disregard for the work that she did for me. Okay, the fourth commandment tells us to keep the Sabbath day holy. Okay, and more than just a commandment to rest, it's actually a commandment that honors work. All right, did you know this? The commandment to keep the Sabbath, as much as it is about rest, is just, about, just as much about honoring work. But here's the catch. Not your work. It honors the work of someone else. Okay, let's take a look at this. This is the fourth commandment. And it's in Exodus 20, 8 to 11. It says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, you nor your son, your daughter, your male servant, nor your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days uh, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. All right, I'll admit this is a hard one. This is a hard one. Uh, of all the commandments, I think this is the one that we probably have the most silent debate about, okay? Keeping the Sabbath day. Some go as far to say is that this, this one no longer applies, all right? Others will question it's even possible. I mean, some people have to work on Sunday, right? We have doctors and, and public servants and, and, and others within the church that have just decided, you know, altogether, let's just pretend this one's not there. Let's just not, let's just use Sunday as an extra day for doing whatever we want to do, Okay? 
And first of all, we could be tempted to say that Christ has fulfilled this commandment and therefore we no longer have to observe it. But by extension, you'd have to apply that same reasoning to all the other commandments. Did Christ fulfill the commandment not to murder too? Yeah. So if we don't have to observe that one, right? I mean, no, that's not how it works. Okay. So what are we to do with this commandment? What are we to do with this commandment? It's hard not to see how this commandment reflects the uh, uh, creation account, right? Uh, just as God, he worked for six days and on the seventh day, he, he rested. He rested. He was refreshed. Exodus uh, 31, 17 says, It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The Sabbath was, was to be a day of rest from work, but also dedicated to the worship of God. But not only that, if we're to back up a bit in that same chapter of Exodus 31, we'd read that the penalty for breaking the Sabbath was death. Gosh, that's a little extreme, isn't it? Keep the Sabbath day or die. Wow. Why is that? As you may or may not know, the giving of the law was, was first stated in, in Exodus, okay? And then it was repeated again in Deuteronomy, right as the Israelites were entering the promised land because it was a new generation of Israelites. And, and after wandering in the, in the desert for a generation, they had to be reminded of this law as much as anyone. But in that restatement of the law in Deuteronomy, if we read Deuteronomy's version of the fourth commandment, we read this along with it. This is Deuteronomy 5, 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, in light of that, okay, in light of the work that God did for you, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Okay, God anchors one reason for Sabbath rest here, and it's not in creation. Instead, he's asking them to recall who was it who delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. They were to rest from their labors and give all of those around them rest because God had delivered them from bondage. Okay, in other words, Israel was not freed from Egypt by their works, but by the grace of God. Instead, they rested and acknowledged the work of Almighty God on this day. Now, here's where we're going with this. It, when God tacked the, uh, the death penalty to this commandment, okay, he, he, was, he was saying uh, Israel could not enter the Sabbath day's rest on their own efforts but by the grace of God. L listen to this. Listen to this. Hear this. Hear this. And, and tell me if you can't hear the gospel in it, okay? If you try and work your way into where God intended for you to rest, it will result in your death. Are we just talking about the commandments now? Listen to that again. If you try and work your way into where God intended for you to rest, it will result in your death. This, this is the gospel we're talking about. If you try and work your way into something where God alone accomplished the, the work for it, if you, do, if, you don't, if you don't do that, if you try any other means of doing that other than rest, it's going to result in your death. Do you see why, why God is making such a big deal about this commandment here? Because it's symbolic of something else, something else much bigger, that if you work your way into some place where God intended for you to rest, it's going to result in your death, okay? Through your own efforts, through your own labor, if you try and work your way into the rest of God's kingdom, you'll not get there. You'll die. It's, it's much more than just a metaphor here, okay? It's a symbolic message that tells us that laboring our way into God's salvation will not work. It results in death. You see that? Am I making sense here? Do you see the connection I'm trying to make or that I'm not trying to make it? This is, this is, this is what I believe the intent of the, the commandment was to show us, okay? Uh, yet, uh, just like the Israelites, we fail and we try again and again to bring our own efforts, our own work, and add to the work that God already accomplished for us, when in reality, all we're told to do is rest. 
Come to me, all you who are labor, and I will give you rest. Your, your work on the Sabbath is you bringing your labor to a place where, where he intended you to rest and, and remember and observe God at work. Uh, so let's ask ourselves how Christ fulfilled this commandment. How did Christ honor the command to rest on the Sabbath? Uh, first of all, he accomplished the work that, that God sent him to do. Christ said in his high priestly prayer right before he was arrested in uh, John 17, 4 to 5, says this, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And now he finished that work. He finished that work, and where does he sit? He sits at the right hand of the Father, partaking in the rest in that heavenly realm, okay? And that's what the fourth commandment reminds us. It reminds us to celebrate the completed work of Christ, and it should remind us that we enter into rest not by our own works, for the wages of sin is death, but by the grace through faith in, in, in Christ and His work, okay? All right, so how do we do that? How do we, uh, go ahead, Luke, did you have something? Uh, I was just say like the, the Hebrew of it too has the connotation of like a remaining and abiding, a being in the presence of, it's not just a putting down of work, it's like an experiencing and enjoying mm-hmm. the presence of God. And, and, and yeah, the, the work that he accomplished. And, and so, so how do we do that? How do we, uh, how do we um, honor this commandment? What's the best way to observe this, the Sabbath? I think a simple way uh, to ask this is, does my activity, does my activity promote or hinder my celebration of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ? Okay? And please understand, I'm, I'm not trying to be your, your conscience uh, for you on this and, and outline what, what, what it looks like and what all that entails. I, I've got my own reckoning to deal with as far as this commandment is concerned. Does whatever I do on Sunday, does whatever I do on Sunday promote or hinder the celebration and the, of the life and death and resurrection of Christ. And, and I would encourage you to, to ask yourself those kinds of questions and not be so quick to, to dismiss it. Allow yourself at least to, to have that internal dialogue and see what the Spirit might be asking you to do in regards to your, your Sabbath activities, whatever they are. Uh, take one day a week, one day a week and rest, but not, but not just rest, but not just rest, but to set your work aside, the work that you normally think of as the thing that sustains and provides for you, set that aside one day a week and remember, recall who it is that really provides you and really sustains you and use that day to acknowledge it. In a way, I was just kind of thinking through this this morning, it's kind of like tithing your time. You know, when you tithe, you're, you're taking from what you believe that I've earned all this, but when you tithe, you're saying, I'm, I'm taking a portion of this that really it all belongs to him. And it's my reminder, it's my, it's my observation that it's really him who provides all of it for me. And so in the same way, you, you allot your time. Your Sabbath is the, is the one time that you set aside. I work every other day. I work to provide. I work to, to, to put food on the table. But it's the one day aside where I put work aside. I put all that down aside and acknowledge the one who really is the provider, who really is the one who sustains me and my family and, 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 and all of us. So think of it that way. And so what am I doing on, on Sunday is, is, or, or whatever your, your Sabbath day is? Because again, I know some people, doctors have to, have to work on Sunday. Public officials do have to work on Sunday. But I would still say, even those people that have to work on Sunday, take one day. Take one day, set it aside. I believe that most of the staff here at, at Christ Pres makes their Sabbath on Friday. And so they, 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 they work a lot on Sunday, but then they still take Friday to set that day aside because that's the day that they're going to stop and realize and refresh and recharge and, and realize who it is who is their provider. Yeah, Neil. So what was the, the situation where G, the, the, Jesus was presented with somebody to heal on the Sabbath? Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be a, a trick. 
was, how, how did that kind of fit into this? Well, oh gosh, that's a... Okay, so that, in that instance, uh, they were upset at Jesus, number one, for, for healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus' response to that, do you remember what Jesus' response was? The ox to what now? Man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for, for man. Okay, and so Jesus is now, is now healing on the Sabbath. And it's really what really upset the apple cart that day was, was the fact that, that Jesus was in front of the Pharisees acting uh, as if he were above the law or above the, the Sabbath. And, and Jesus is reminding him that, no, no, I, I, I'm here, to, I'm here for, for the Sabbath to heal. Okay, okay, and so that it was really a disrupting the, the Pharisees that, or the Pharisees were so upset about. But then as Chip says, is that there were instances where Jesus was saying that, uh, look, if your ox gets trapped in the ditch, yeah, yeah get, get the ox out. There are, there are occasions where, look, you're, it's not a rigid obedience to the law that, that he's looking for, but again, it's the, it's the heart. It's a heart issue that, that Jesus is really, is really after. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but <laughs> any other thoughts on that? Okay, yes. I guess it just occurs to me um, this work and rest. Uh, mm-hmm. and there's also six days of work. That's, that's a pretty big amount of work. Mm-hmm. So why isn't there more emphasis on work? Why isn't there more emphasis on work? Right, when we talk about this and when I hear us debate this, it's always about am I resting or am I working? Uh-huh. It's about the Sabbath, and I get that. But also, isn't there also glorifying God in the work? Absolutely. Yes, yes, and really that should be your, your mindset every time. For those of you that have participated in the Nashville Institute of Faith and Work, that's what that whole center's around, bringing your faith into the workplace, okay? And so that should, yeah, that should take place six days a week, okay? But still, I think what the, the, the point here is, is that there's still, we still are needing the reminder. We still need to make that the observation that we have to stop and pause every seven days and, and remember who we, who we work for and ultimately who is our provider. And certainly, yes, you bring your, your, your faith into your work. Certainly you do that. But still what this commandment is telling us to do, stop. Stop and, and work and, and honor the one who actually did the work for you. You know, that's what, that's what this commandment is emphasizing. Anyone else? Any thoughts before we close? I know we're almost, we are out of time, so... Okay, good. If there's any other thoughts or comments or questions, please feel free to come talk to me. Again, just consider. Consider what, uh, what, what you're going to do today and, uh, and just con- and consider what the, the, um, the, the significance behind it. Is this, is this uh, activity that I'm doing today, is this somehow going to honor the life, death, and resurrection of, uh, of Jesus in, in some way? And there's ways you can do it. There's ways you can do it in whatever activity. Even if you're going to go play golf today, there's ways that you can, <laughs> there's ways that you can do that too, okay? And honor the death, resurrection, and yes. Yeah. It's okay if I go out to eat after church? I, again, I don't want to be your conscience. I don't want to be your conscience on that. But, you know, uh, again, it's, it's, uh, it's up for you to decide, how can I make this activity honoring of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ? Can you do that? Probably can. But frame, your idea, frame your idea around the activity, not the activity around... Uh, uh, your, 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 your day. Yeah. <laughs> to go out to dinner at, after church is relaxing to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not cooking or washing or anything mm-hmm. like that. But because I'm going out to eat, someone has to work. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's well. hard. It's a debate. <laughs> That's a good tip well is what you're... <laughs> tip your server well. That's, that's a great way to do that. All right, who'd like to close us in prayer? Thank you all so much for listening. We hope you tune in next week. If you have any questions, please feel free to leave a comment for us. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and subscribe. Have a great week.